We've been talking about the Beatitudes, thank you, and this morning we want to continue on that, and our general topic is pursuing God's blessings through the Beatitudes, but today I want to talk to you about clinging or clinging closely to Jesus, and that's what the Lord Jesus Yeshua is telling us through the Beatitudes, and one more time, I just want to read from Matthew 5, 1 through 12, the Beatitudes that Jesus talked to us about. He said, he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Isn't that good news? We're going to be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy and blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons or children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my, on Jesus' account. Rejoice and be glad. That's your, that's, that is our response when bad things happen to us because of we're naming the name of Jesus. Uh, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who had gone before you. And I wanted today, I want to look at two, uh, or one psalm, a couple of verses, Psalm 139, because in the Beatitudes, Jesus is calling us to look at ourself. And he's calling us to look inside our heart, look inside our motive, look inside our life, and see why we're doing things and the reason, the motivation behind it. And Psalm 139 is one of many places where the cry is from the psalmist. To, and he says this, 139 and 1 and 2, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know me when I sit down and rise up. In other words, there's nowhere you can go. There's no way you can, nowhere you can escape God's knowledge and presence of what you are and where you are and what's going on. You know me when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts afar off. And then skipping down to verse 23 of Psalm 139, search me. Here's the cry. Search me, O God. Know my heart. In other words, be intimate with my heart. Not only does God have knowledge of you, he knows your heart. Jeremiah said, our heart is deceitful above all other things. You can fool yourself thinking that you're on course when you're missing it. So we need to ask the Lord to help us. And that's really what this message is about in clinging to Jesus. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try, and that word means test, test me. And know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked or hurtful way in me and then lead me in the everlasting way. Show me if there's something amiss in me, but Lord, get me on the right path. Amen? So as we look at the Beatitudes spoken by Jesus, as I said last week, we see the characteristics of the true believer. We see what a real Christian, a real believer, a real follower in Jesus Christ, these are the characteristics that should be in place in your lifestyle every day, 24-7, should be your heart's desire. And uh, we may experience, now here's what happens, when you read the Beatitudes, something may, it, the truth of it may hit you. This is why some people don't like to read the Bible, because when they do, the Bible is alive, it'll talk to you. It'll put your, its finger on areas of your life, it'll bless you until you keep doing the good that you're doing. Don't be weary in well-doing, 
but it'll also put, it, put its finger on you of truth where you're missing it in order to love you and correct you and bring you into the fullness of what the Lord has for you. Smile, because that's a good thing. So read the Bible, and I, I encourage you, read the Bible through in a year, not as a legalistic thing to just accomplish and check off on a spiritual checklist. I did it. Read the Bible every day. Let that fresh manna come into your life every day. I can't live without the Word of God. It, it, it rebukes me. It encourages me. It chastises me. It corrects me. It teaches me the right way to go, and that's the purpose of it. But many times when we read like the Beatitudes and other places, we can get discouraged or disappointed that our lives are not measuring up in some areas. Anybody had that kind of experience? Only me? Oh, pray for me then, please. I'm, I'm, I'm really out of step with the rest of y'all. Y'all have arrived. Wow. God help the pastor. But when we become discouraged or disappointed, it's not the Lord's attempt to condemn you. The, remember last week, the devil condemns. Condemnation of the, of the devil. Therefore, there's no, no, no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Even if you keep tripping, falling, messing up. He doesn't condemn you. The devil condemns you. The devil piles on you when you're down. The devil doesn't play by rules. The devil will kick you when you're down. He'll keep kicking you when you're down, trying to finish you off. But the Holy Spirit, God's love, he will convict us because he loves us. The Lord chastises. He attempts to correct those that he loves. And he does it because he loves us. So it's not Jesus' attempt to condemn us, but to provide encouragement and a sense of challenge for us to look at our life honestly and give us an opportunity to get it right. Do you remember the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus told him, he said, well, I've done all these things from the youth up. Jesus said, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me. Jesus put his finger on the area that was a bondage, that was a trap, keeping the rich young man's heart from totally loving God first. The Lord will put his finger, the Holy Spirit will put the finger of truth and God on your heart to deal with you in order to bring you into alignment with him so that you can experience his blessings and fullness and destiny for your life. What an awesome God of love we serve. He is good. And as we invite the Holy Spirit to do what Psalm 139 says, try us, test us, so that's a scary prayer. And not many Christians have the real boldness or hunger for God or purity in their heart to really pray that prayer. And, you know, sometimes I've had, I'll be honest, sometimes I prayed that prayer and I kind of ducked and flinched and said, oh, no, I know it's coming. Because I know there's stuff in me that God's still working on. He's, he, is he still working on stuff in you? So as we invite the Holy Spirit to do that, to look, to accept the gaze of God upon our life, we have to learn to be honest with ourselves. It's not an easy thing. And then how to handle the truth that's revealed to us without giving into that despair. I want to say this, but you cannot be born again, saved. You cannot be helped by God until you're willing to face your issues. You got to quit blaming everybody else, your mother, your daddy, the teacher, the dog, the parakeet. The dog ate my lesson, my homework. That's why I don't have it. No, you don't have it because you didn't do it. You know, we got to quit blaming everybody else. We have to basically accept responsibility for ourselves. 
Everybody else can do us wrong, but still, we make a choice. There's that favorite word. We make a choice to do right even in the face of other people doing us wrong. Even if the whole world goes wrong and they don't make it, listen, you make a choice whether you're going to serve the Lord and make it to the kingdom of God or not. It's your choice. God gives you that choice. So uh, sometimes we, what we go through is despair or we feel like quitting. But listen, it's, it's true with everything in life. In order to get better at something or to feel better, we typically have to go through some pain or revelation about ourselves. Many times it doesn't get better until you're willing to face the truth about yourself. It's not everybody else. It's you. It's not the husband. It's not your wife. It's not your kids. It's not your parents. It's not the teacher. It's not the president. It's not the government. It's, it's not what's going on in China or wherever else. It's not even the devil. Jesus and Paul said, don't give place to him. And when you don't give place to him, he can't be your master. So he said, don't open the door because most of the time our problems that we blame the devil for is because you opened the door to him. You let him in in some way. So we, we, it has to get, we, we have to get real. We have to accept responsibility in order to get better or to have revelation. And so the revelation, it comes for the purpose to give us an awareness of how far short we do fall from the Lord. That's a good thing. It's a painful thing, but it's a good thing. It's the painful part of the process that God's dealing with us to bring us up to a new level in him. Hallelujah. We need to be made aware that we're not as righteous and holy and good as we think we are sometimes. And apart from Jesus' grace, none of us would make it. It's this revelation that causes us to cling to Jesus even more because we know we can't do it, be the Christian without his help and without his grace. So our continuing need to come to the Lord for, our, we, we always need to come to the Lord for peace. Anybody had to go to the Lord for peace today? For hope today? For joy today? Because what you had yesterday or even what you had when you woke up this morning, something happened that erased it, challenged it, threatened it. You continue, we continually have to go to the Lord for peace, hope, joy, guidance. Uh, that's the purpose why he convicts us of our shortcomings is we continually need to trust him. God wants us and God gives us permission to trust him. It is not a sign of meekness. It's a sign of sonship and daughtership. It's a sign that he's our father and he's a good father and he wants to provide for us and we don't have it in ourselves because Adam and Eve or whoever, Margaret and Fred, I'm sorry if your name's Margaret here this morning. It, it, you know, think of some name, you know, Gertrude. There is a Gertrude here this morning. Oh my God, help me. Uh, you know, Alexander and... Whatever her name would be. It doesn't matter what their name was. Man failed in the garden, and we're all recipients, and we're all suffering the consequences of that sin and that separation. And so God deals with us in our shortcomings. So, in saying all that, the proper response to the Beatitudes is not to be overwhelmed by this list that Jesus himself gave of what we aren't doing right, but it's an experience to be able to learn to depend more on his grace, more on his strength that he promises to give you. 
He promises to give you because he doesn't want us to fail. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to come into the image and the likeness of his son. Not when we die in the sweet by and by, in the rough here and now. Be thankful that you, he shows you your sins and your failings and, and clearly so, and allows the Holy Spirit to empower you to step forward in progress. It's painful. I agree. It hurts me. I don't like it when I'm wrong. I don't like it when the Lord shows me something about my life that I'm not doing right that didn't measure up. And I'm not talking about going out and doing some crazy, stupid, wild, sinful thing. I'm just talking about not living with the motive and attitude of love that's right in the Lord. So be thankful when the Holy Spirit puts his finger and the Holy Spirit lines up. Be thankful then when you read the Beatitudes. Be thankful when you read the other places in the Bible. Go to the, listen, we need to run, learn to run to God, not away from him. Don't be like Adam and Eve. They had the wrong response. They hid from him in the garden. That's wrong, wrong response. They forgot he was the father, the good father. We need a new revelation of God's good fatherhood over us. Amen. And I believe the Lord's doing that in the day and the time that we're living in more than ever before. So when the Holy Spirit moves in our lives, he, he will empower us to step forward in progress. And don't allow your lack of progress to become a reason for either quitting or becoming discouraged or giving up on yourself or giving up on somebody else. The Lord does not give up on us. Thank God. You better thank God for that. He is extremely patient. It says his, 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 his mercy and his long-suffering, uh, he, he is merciful and he's long-suffering. He puts up with a lot from us. I mean, he could just think a thought and we'd be gone. I want to say this because this is really tweetable and you need to get this. There's always going to be a tension until we draw our last breath or until we're changed and become in the likeness of Christ. There's always going to be a tension between standing in grace and striving for growth. Paul said the things that I, I forget, I, I let those things behind me, put them behind me, so that I can strive towards the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. You, you, you receive forgiveness for your sins, your failures, but we're always hungering and thirsting to become more like Jesus in our life. Go away message, not this message, but that little pop-up. In every Christian that's born again, there is always a beginning of holiness, purity, contentment, peace, love for God and for others, but yet it's not complete in any of us yet. Anybody here arrived yet? I dare you to raise your hand. I double dog dare you to raise your hand. You think you've arrived yet? We won't talk to you. We got people that want to talk to you. The Lord wants to talk to you. <laughs> But what the Lord, and don't be discouraged over that, because what the Lord has begun in us, he is able to complete it. Say, so how do you know that? He says so. Philippians 1.6. Man, when I was struggling as a new Christian at Lee College, I was, I was wondering, I was a bad student. I served 12 years, first grade through 12th. I served 12 years. I said, I'm not going to school anymore. The Lord had other plans for me, challenged me to about Bible school. I'm going, I, don't, I was scared to say yes because I didn't want to go and scared to say no, I won't do it because I somehow felt like the Lord wanted me to do it. He won, thank God. But while I was there, English, new math. I don't care if it's old math. It's not good. 
English, new math, composition, uh, biology, botany, science, zoology, cutting worms, you know, dissecting this and that and the other, smelling formaldehyde. This, just, what's this got to do with Jesus? What's this got to do with the gospel, preaching the gospel? What's this got to do with the Bible? That was always my question. I wrestled. We had, we had other students. They were taking Greek. They wanted to flush that Greek book down the toilet, but it just wouldn't fit. And I was one of those. I was struggling. I spent so much time in the prayer room. Oh, God, you got to help me. I don't like this. When are we going to get to the Bible? When are we going to get to the, you know, the, the real meat of why I'm here? But I needed that discipline more than I needed the education. I needed that discipline more than I needed the information from those courses. And I just, I would constantly pray. One, one day I went to my room, my dorm room, so broken, so wondering if I was going to make it, not just through the school experience, but in the Lord. I said, if this is what it takes to be a, 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 a minister or a whatever I'm going to end up being, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I've got it in me. And it was literally one of those times that I, I know now I know better or I don't do it now. This, that's not how I live. But it does still work sometimes if God's in it. I opened my Bible and it fell. And, and I didn't have anything marked in my Bible. To me then, people told me, oh, it's a sin. Don't write in your Bible. I'm going, oh, okay. So nothing was marked in my Bible. It was just a blank. I opened it and it fell open to Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6 says something. And it helped me that day. And I believe it will help you today that God is able to complete what he started in you, even though you may be disappointed and discouraged today of where you are. You may not be on the level of brother or sister so-and-so, but that, don't measure yourself by them. It, Paul said it's unwise to do that. Jesus is our measurement. And it says in Philippians 1.6, I'm convinced and sure. Well, that mean, I think that means he's, he knows what's going on. I'm convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ, developing and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. What God started in you was not you. It's, been a, it's an eternal holy seed that he put in you. And when God puts his seed in you and God blows his breath on that seed and God nurtures that seed through all that we go through in life, he is watching over that seed that's been planted in you, that seed of truth, that seed of the spirit of truth, that seed of the Lord Jesus Yeshua. He's watching over that seed. That's precious seed to God. He's watching over that seed, the best, the best that God can do, and God, God doesn't fail. And he will work in you. He'll continue it until the day of Jesus Christ is perfected in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. See, sometimes we think it's all based on what we can do. Well, we need, to, we need to do like Paul does, press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Yes. But yet there's sometimes we don't have a clue. We don't know what to do. We're floundering around. And God takes us and brings us through it even when we don't know what's happening. Thank God for those moments too. And then Colossians 2, Paul again says it in a little bit different way in Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in him... The Lord Jesus, the whole fullness of deity continues to dwell in bodily form. And I love what the Amplified says there, giving complete expression of the divine nature in Christ Jesus, Yeshua. And you are in him. Are you a you? You're, you're the you that it's talking about. And you are in him, made full and having come to fullness of Christ. You say, well, I'm not there yet. God already sees you as completed. 
Positionally, God already sees you as completed in Christ because the price has been paid for you. Now, experientially, no, we're growing. We're in a process, in a progress. But God sees you already sanctified. God sees you as already glorified. Romans teaches us God sees you as the work is already perfect in you because His Son is perfect. And the work that the Son did is perfect. And what He's begun in you, He will complete it. You getting that? I want to talk to you about roots, shoots, and fruit. (laughs) Roots, shoots, and fruit. Get it in the proper order because there is an order. So the Lord never wants us to stay in a state of condemnation for our sins and failures or our weaknesses. So God always is showing us what the blessed life looks like and how to make progress in it. The Beatitudes that Jesus spoke show a definite order or even a progression with each one of these that Jesus listed building and depending on one another. They're like blocks or stepping stones. You have to have the roots, then the shoots, and then you have the fruit. It's like a road map showing the way for pursuing the blessed life. So the first three Beatitudes deal with your need and my need, our need. And we call those roots because roots are very, they're elementary and roots are important. If the root of the plant or tree or bush or shrub or whatever is not right, if the root's not right, the rest of it's not going to grow right. If the roots are poisoned, if the roots don't have the right soil, Jesus tells us a parable story about the the proper soil that the seed was sown into, you know, and if it doesn't grow the right roots, it doesn't live, it doesn't die, but not only that, it'll never bear fruit. So you have the roots, the shoots, and the fruit. So the first three Beatitudes deal with your need and my need, our need. And in Matthew 5, 3, we are poor in spirit. And he said, blessed are those that are poor in spirit. What's that mean? Blessed happy. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who realize they're poor in spirit, because we don't have what it takes to live as God commands. We don't have it. We don't have it in ourselves. I've said it several times. People say, well, being a Christian is not so hard. Well, why don't you try it? Sinner people said it. Well, being a Christian is not that hard. Well, try it. Try blessing people that curse you. Try blessing people that do you wrong. Try, try walking in love just for an hour. And I tell people, no, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not hard. It's impossible. The Christian life is impossible in our own ability and power and abilities. And that's why it says you're blessed are those that are poor in spirit. Blessed are those that realize they don't have what it takes in themselves. And they become dependent upon the Lord. They go to the Lord. And then he said, blessed are those that mourn. Because our sins are many. He's not talking about, you know, mourning because of a loss of someone or something in our life. Blessed are are those that mourn, that, that grieve over their own spiritual bankruptcy and inadequacy. Because our sins are many. The person that says they never sin, I got news for you. First John says, you're a liar. I didn't say it. I don't have to say it. The word of God, Jesus said it. said, if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. How you like that? That's pretty offensive to our pride, isn't it? And then thirdly, the third need that we have, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those that mourn, blessed are those that we are meek rather than self-willed and defiant. Because what that means, blessed are those that become meek. Meek doesn't mean that you're walked on by everybody. Meek doesn't mean that you're weak. 
Meek means that your strength is under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's an accomplishment in our life. Because there's some things we could tear somebody's head off. There's some people that with their tongue, they could just totally destroy somebody. But meekness means you take that power that you have, you take that ability that you have, and you bring it under the control of the Holy Spirit. Actually, that meekness, the best way to describe it is like, and, and this is the way the, theologians describe it when you look at it, that word meekness means strength that's bridled or brought under control. It's a horse. <laughs> I know about that. You go out there in the pasture of the field, and you try that horse doesn't have an alt, halter on him. He doesn't have anyone to catch him. You, you got to somehow, you got to win that horse to come to you because most of them don't want to be ridden. So you got to convince that horse, number one, to come to you. That horse, he could knock you down. I've had him knock me down. They are strong. They don't know their strength, and they're not doing it in a mean way. Some of them are, but some, most of them are not in a mean way. But when you, when you get the halter on that horse and a rope, I want to tell you, that's not all. Because that horse can rear up. That horse can jerk. I've had the rope jerked out of my hand, and I've had it knock me on the ground before just from them jerking the rope off me. The inertia just pulled me on the ground. I've had them bump up against me and knock me against the wall and just and hurt you. But when you get that bridle on them, when you get that bit in their mouth, and you would get in control of the reins, that horse is going to go where you want him to go if you know what you're doing. There is, a, there is a little sub there if you know what you're doing. That horse will go anywhere you want him to go. And that's what meekness means. It means that strength of that 1,000 to 1,200-pound or 1,500-pound animal, you can control that strength, and he, become, he or she, that horse, becomes meek to where you can handle that horse. And that meekness means that our, that our strengths, our abilities, our talents, we're not wild out there. We're not doing something stupid and crazy. We're not doing something sin, sinful and rebellious. But our self-will and our defiance, we, we bring it under, we allow it to come under the control of the Holy Spirit. And then that strength and that power that God puts in us becomes a beautiful thing for the kingdom of God. And your life counts for something worth eternity's sake. Wow. So the first three Beatitudes talk about our need. Poor in spirit, those that mourn over their sins, those that become weak, they give up their self-will and their self-defiant. Say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to serve God that way. I'm not going to do that. And then from the first three roots of poor in spirit, mourning, and meekness, come from those roots come the shoots, which is the fourth beatitude, uh, Matthew uh, 5 and 6. Then we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, how does that work? Because when you see your poorness in spirit, and you see that you're, and you are broken, and, and listen, we need to be broken. Being broken is a good thing. And when we see that we're, we're mourning, we're broken over our sins, our, our failures, our inability, and when we become weak, God uses those roots of you seeing your need in your own life to produce a shoot of the deep longing to grow in righteousness. It's at this point, either you give up, you give up on yourself, or you give up on God, or you come to God and you humble yourself, and you go, God, I don't measure up. God, I'm poor in spirit. God, I'm, I need to mourn. I'm mourning over my sins. I'm so sorry I failed you, God. And Lord, I, I need to bring all that rebellion, Lord, under the submission of the Holy Spirit and the Lordship of Jesus, Yeshua. And when that happens, 
God creates in you, God, I can't do it in myself. And you start hungering and thirsting for his righteousness, not your own, because you realize your own is not there and not sufficient. For Isaiah says, our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. Study what that means. It's pretty alarming what that means. Filthy rags. So God uses that root of us seeing our needs to produce the shoot of a deep longing to grow in righteousness. It's called conviction. Conviction is a beautiful, good thing. The Lord convicts you. The Lord chastises you because he loves you. And his goal is to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. So when the Holy Spirit busts you, busts you, reveals you to yourself, and if he can't get through to you yourself, he'll make your sins public. God's not afraid to make your sins public if you don't repent in private. You get an opportunity to repent in private and deal with it between you and God. And if you don't, he loves you enough. He'll expose you publicly. Either it's to your wife, your husband, your family, or your boss, or or somebody. Somebody is always watching. He is always watching. But he will set it up to where somebody sees you when you think your sin is hidden. Be sure your sins will find you out. If you got the right attitude, you'll repent. And when those roots of those first three beatitudes are nourished, a great desire for righteousness will spring up and begin to spring up in your life, producing fruit. We all want the fruit. Amen? We all want the fruit. That's the good stuff. But there's a price to pay for the fruit. How many of you like tomatoes? How many of you like green beans? How many of you like squash, cucumbers, okra, apples, blueberries, strawberries, raspberries? We love the fruit, but something had to happen to get to the fruit. The roots had to be right, and the shoots had to grow from the roots, and then the fruit will be produced. So the roots produce the shoots, and the shoots produce the fruit. Shoots or roots, shoots, and fruit. Just get it right. <laughs> Matthew 5, 7 says the fruit of mercy and forgiveness. It's a fruit. Mercy and forgiveness. It's the fruit of the roots that come from the shoot. And then Matthew 5, 8, the fruit of purity. And then Matthew 5, 9, the fruit of peace. All of these beatitudes reflect the character that God has, but yet God wants his people to actively pursue. Amen. There's an eighth beatitude that we'll look at when we get into each one of these particular. We haven't even touched each one of them singularly yet. We just talk about some introductory stuff that Jesus talked about. That if you don't understand last week and if you don't understand today, you won't be able to progress in Jesus accomplishing this in your life. So I encourage you, I urge you to read the beatitudes this week. Read Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Try to read it every day, once a day. At least try to read it once a week. Get it in your head, get it in your heart, get it in your spirit. Because we're on a journey through the Beatitudes, and we're going to look at each one of them individually and see just exactly what Jesus is saying. Because this is the character we are, we are supposed to be living or, or portraying to this world, to one another and to this world. This is the real test if you're really born again and saved, actually. It's not, it's not that you can shana. It's not that you can cry. It's not that you can roll around. It's not that you can shout and praise the Lord. It's, it's how you walk right. 
We want, we want you to experience the touch of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, whether you fall out in the Spirit or not, that's, that's just how you react. But, you know, what matters is how you live and act when you get up. If you're not changed when you give up from, from if you're not changed when you get up with it from an encounter with God, get back down there. Get back down there until God's through. You're supposed to be changed by an encounter with God. You don't come into the presence of Jesus and not be changed. You know, that's, that's church. That's religion. There, the eighth beatitude is Matthew 5, 10. Blessed are those that are persecuted for my name's sake. And this one's different from the others because we're not called to pursue it. <laughs> Aren't you glad? He didn't call you to go out and look for persecution. But he did tell you it's going to find you. <laughs> I laugh because I've had a little bit of this in times and, and we're going to go through this. And that in itself being persecuted, that's not a good thing. Because when your faith is challenged, it'll make you it should make you dig deeper into what you believe and find out why you believe it, not just that you do believe it. Pastor, you're doing good today. I know it. I feel it. I'm, I'm helping you today if you'll listen and apply and appropriate. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. Uh, it's different because we're not called to pursue it, but we are called to understand that when you go after the blessed life and the godly life that Jesus lays out for us, persecution will pursue you. Don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard. Oh, my goodness. I didn't anticipate this. No, we don't want it. We don't like it, but it's part of the package. The world hates God. And Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Those who are blessed will be persecuted by this world. You say, how do you know that? Well, the word says that. Again, Paul, back in Philippians 1.29, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him and experience the blessings and the benefits and the covenant promises, but to also suffer for his namesake. See, that's not something we signed up for. God didn't tell us that when we got saved that night <laughs> or that time. God didn't tell us that. He can't tell you everything because if he did, you wouldn't begin with him. Well, I signed up for the blessings. Well, that is a blessing. It's just a disguised blessing. <clears throat> then 2 Timothy 3 11, 12, what per Paul talks about his own persecutions. Boy, he went through it. What persecutions I endured, and that's the answer. You have to endure them. Endure them means that you stay under the pressure of that until you have victory in it. We say, God, get me out of this. He said, no, I'm not getting you out of it. I'm going to take you through it. Come on. He said, I'm not going to deliver you from it. That bad boss is going to be a bad boss until you learn how to walk in meekness and love and honor and serve them. Oh, that hurts. Oh, pastor, why did you say that? Because it's true. Paul said, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord rescued me. He said, out of them all, the Lord rescued me. It may not be immediately, but if you'll learn to submit and walk in him in that beatitudes, the Lord will rescue you. You will win. You're going to come out on top because you're the head. You're not the tail. Indeed, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So just fasten your seatbelt or unfasten it, whatever you got to do for the ride. And just don't go looking for it. And don't start griping and complaining and don't start feeling like poor me. 
It's part of the package. You and I get the privilege not only to live with him and be blessed by him, but also to suffer for his namesake. It's obvious you can't get the fruit without the shoots, and you don't get the shoot without the root. So there's a progression here, and that if we want to have the fruits, which is forgiveness, purity, and peace in our life, then you have to begin with the roots by becoming poor in spirit, mourning over your sins, and meekly submitting yourself to the will of the Father. The order of these beatitudes shows us how to make progress in the Christian life. It's amazing. These were not just a random group of statements that Jesus, Yeshua, made. They weren't just random. He knew what he was saying. He knew agriculture. He knew the spiritual realm. He knew what it would take to help you and I grow. He went through it himself. Though he were, you know, a, uh, the son of God, he suffered. Uh, he learned obedience by that which he suffered. And we can use the pattern that Jesus gave that we find in the Beatitudes as a model for us, a pattern. And there are many great theologians and pastors and, and, and people that from the past that have written on the qualities of the Beatitudes and the importance of following the pattern that Jesus gave. And I just picked two in my study that they were, they're, they're not real current guys, but they were solid. They were solid theologians and authors and, and they have commentaries and, and you can depend on what they say for the most part. There's nothing that we totally all agree about. Everything everybody says, man says. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a theologian in 1899 to 1981, fairly current, fairly. He said, there is beyond any question a very definite order in these Beatitudes. Our Lord does not place them in their respective positions haphazardly or accidentally. There, that, there, there is what we may describe as a spiritual, logical sequence to be found here. And then another uh, theologian and author, Alex, Alexander McLaren, 1826-1910, he said, each beatitude springs from the, from the preceding. In other words, they're building blocks. They build on one another. Each beatitude springs from the preceding and all twined or, or worked together make an ornament of grace upon the neck as if it's a chain of jewels. Any ordinary superficial view of these so-called beatitudes is that they're simply a collection of unrelated sayings. That's a person that would say, oh, just, they're just, it's an ordinary view. They're, they're just a collections, random collections of sayings. But he said there are a great deal more than that. There is a vital connection and progress in the Beatitudes, in them. The jewels are not just flung down in a heap. They're braided together in a chain to be worn by the child of God. So here's the bottom line. How? This is what I like. How? Don't tell me I'm supposed to. Tell me how. How do we get these blessings of forgiveness, purity, and peace in our life? Don't you want that? Forgiveness, walk in forgiveness, because when, you're, when you walk in forgiveness, that means you're free. You free others, but in your freeing others, you're free. So don't forget that. You, you, you say, well, I'll never forgive them. Then that means you are saying you'll never be free yourself. Because who you won't, come on, because who you won't forgive, you're constantly, eternally, or maybe not eternally, but you're constantly bound, chained, hooked to them. And God wants you to forgive them so that you can be unhooked from them so God can deal with them. God can deal with their nasty self. God really wants you to forgive so you can be free. And then when you're free, 
you set those people free that God can deal with them because as long as you're hooked to them, God can't deal with them because God says, well, you're dealing with them. And you're not giving me space to deal with them because you've already got them condemned. You've already got them in a cage. You already lock them up. And every once in a while you think about them, you open the door to the cage and you punch them a few times and kick them and cuss them a few times. Said, I hope the rain just melts you or whatever. You know, and God says, you take your hands off them and you forgive and you release them so you can be free. You can be at peace. You can have purity. And I'll deal with them. Because the Lord says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And we're sitting there, come on, God, get them. (laughs) And how God gets them, according to Ephesians 4, he deals with them in mercy, love, and grace, just like he dealt with you. Oh, Lord, don't you have a special package for that idiot, that heathen, that moron, that... Don't you have a special package to them and just shake them up? Shake them over the, the flames of hell. Let them feel it, God. <laughs> Is that how you want God to treat you? Oh, no, not me. I'm not that bad. Oh, yeah, you are. Oh, yeah, you are. In your own way, you were that bad, and you're worse. <laughs> we are so weird, aren't we? We just think we are, we are God's little pet. And that stinking sorry husband. That ex of mine, oh, I hope he, I, I don't even want him to find Jesus. I don't want to face him throughout eternity. People think that, and I've heard them say it to me. I don't want them to get saved. I don't want them to be in heaven. I don't want to ever see their face again. Well, that's real, Christian. Well, you won't, because they may end up in heaven, and you may not. Oh, God, I've gone to messing, messing, messing. He didn't mess in the right place and he delayed your schedule and now you got to take the time to clean it up because God forbid you don't want to come home and find that like that. Your dog even hurts you. Your cat even disappoints you. I guess your parakeet could do it. You know, I don't know. We've all been hurt by somebody or something in life that those wounds run deep and I'm not making a lot. Those wounds run deep. They hurt. We all struggle with impurity in some form or another. We all do. Come on, we all do. We all feel trapped and we all feel hopeless many times for deliverance. When am I ever going to stop doing that? When am I ever going to get the victory over that? And some of you have got that's, plural. And we have goals and we have desires for our family, your business, our lives. And, and, but then they're family members. God, it'd be so easy if there weren't people. And some of us, some of us got family that are messing up. They've cost us. They've cost us time and resources and energy and love. And it's like, God, help us. Listen, there's only one answer to get you to the blessings of forgiveness, purity, and peace. You get there by means of these first four Beatitudes. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Jesus is good at giving us a model, a plan, a way to live the life successfully, victoriously. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And he says the first way, blessed are the poor in spirit, realizing that you in yourself, you do not have what it takes. And you and I daily and minute by minute have to depend on the Lord and his provision for us. That's the way God set it up. Because he's a father and he's a good daddy. Forget, listen, I'm not, I'm not minimizing. If you had a bad dad 
on this earth or you don't even know who he is, that happens to people. But that's not our God. He is good. He can't help but to be anything but good. That is his character and his nature. And you need to, by his grace, forgive and release that bad mother, that bad father, that bad step, that bad ex, that bad whatever, and receive God's love. Stop living as an orphan and start living as a son and a daughter. That God loves you no matter what. That scripture while we were worshiping, while we were yet sinners, God, God showed, manifested, proved his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners. Listen, for me, I was out there GDing it, using his name like that. That was a common cuss word for me. And, and a bunch of other filth. I even got to where I cussed in front of my mom. And that was low for me. I, my standards got so low. While I was out there acting like that, living like that, it says he loved me even before I, I came to him. While I was yet a sinner, he already died for me. And my dependence and your dependence has got to be upon him every moment. He, he's, he's a very breath we breathe. <laughs> I told him this morning, my devotions, before I start reading the word, before I start doing my journaling, most of the time I say the same thing. Do you ever say the same thing and wonder, God, do you get sick of me saying the same thing? But I tell myself, I can't live without you there's no meaning there's no purpose there's no value oh, I know I have a wonderful wife I have you as a wonderful church you're wonderful people and I'm not just you are wonderful people you are it is a joy to pastor and to be with this church we have fun but I can't live without him it doesn't make sense it has no value without him and I tell him that because I mean it I don't ever want to forget and I've been saved here do the math 49 years last month February I don't ever want to lose my thankfulness and gratefulness to him for saving me and rescuing me because I was gone I was lost You've got to remember, you can't get the forgiveness, the purity, the peace in your heart and walk it in in your life until first you realize that you are poor in your spirit. You don't have what it takes in yourself to live this life, to please God, to do the will of God, and to love people. And you have to learn, greater is he that's in me. Thank God, greater is he, the Holy Spirit that's in me. He keeps me out of a lot of trouble. I know I get in a lot of trouble up here, but he keeps me out of a lot of trouble. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And then you got to realize, number two, blessed are those who mourn over their sins. And the Bible calls us mourning over the sins of others. I mourn over the sins of this nation. I mourn over the sins of us as Christians that have not spoken out and spoken up for the Lord Jesus Christ when we should have. One of the... One of the many reasons America's like it is is because the church, the body of Christ, has been silent. I don't mean getting out on the street with a picket sign, and I don't mean getting out there and fist fighting somebody in the name of Jesus. You know, that don't work. I mean, we've not, we've, not, we've not put people, 
Come on, we've not put people... Listen, this is part of our responsibility. The Bible says in Romans, God gives ministries, and some people's ministry is government, and I think they're, they're enrolling for some God-fearing man out in the lobby today on the left that, that you, can, you can register to help put him... I, I don't even know what race. I, I can't even remember all that JR told me. But out there on the table, even though he's not in your district, he's a godly man. He stands for pro-life. He stands against abortion. He stands for what's right. Go out. I don't think he's there today, but you can say he's not. But you can sign the petition to help get him in office. We need to put godly men and women in office. We Say, Pastor, that's political again. It's kingdom. Come on, it's kingdom. We're to occupy and do the will of God until he comes. Are we going to overthrow the, 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 the government? No. But we're going to exercise his government, his kingdom, until he actually comes and sets it up on the earth. And in doing that, we're ministering and witnessing to them what the kingdom really looks like. Because it's men and women that stand for what's right. And we need to put them in office. We need to pray. We need to mourn for our sins. We need to mourn for the sins of our nation. We need to pray. We don't need to be cussing our leaders. We need to be doing what 2 Timothy says. Pray for those that are in leadership. Even though they're dead dog wrong. Even though they're evil and wicked and, and they're intent. Pray for them. That they'd be saved because if they don't get saved, they're going to live in eternity in hell separated from God. And the blood of Jesus has been shed for them. And God loves them. Even if they're dead, don't. what's happened is they're deceived. They're blinded by the devil. They're just like any other sinner. They're like your son and daughter that's out there doing stupid stuff and lost and doing crazy stuff. They're just like them. They're blind. They need prayer. We need to cover them in prayer. Maybe nobody's praying for them. I'm not praying for them. Well, you need to pray for them. I'm not going to say, that's not political, that's kingdom. That's what we're called and left here. To, that's why God saved you and left you and didn't take you out when you got saved. He left you here to pray. He left you here to represent his kingdom. You're an ambassador. You're a representative of the kingdom of God here. Third, blessed are those that are meek. Woo, clock. Blessed are those that are meek. Rather than being self-willed, we turn to the Lord for his ways to guide our lives because we don't have the ability to direct our own lives wisely. We don't have it. We make some wrong choices thinking we did the right thing. So many scriptures about that, but one of my favorites is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. All. All your heart. Everything. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not. Don't lean on your own understanding. Positive. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not some. Not most. Three quarters, 99%, all your heart. Trust the Lord with everything. Car you buy, person you marry, job you take, everything. Food you eat. Trust the Lord with all your heart. That's positive. Don't lean on your own understanding. In other words, it's not you that can figure it out. The Lord wants you to ask him. Lean not to your own understanding. And then he reiterates again, in all your ways, all. In, in Hebrew, in Greek, in, in Arabic, in English, in, in, in Chinese, all means all. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. Lord, you are king, you're God. I want to do your will. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. In earth. Does God perform his will in the dirt? Well, probably, yeah. But he's as interested in the dirt as, well, we are dirt. You ever been called dirt before in church? You're dirt. You are. That's what your body is. You're dirt. That didn't go over well, did it? I meant that lovingly. You are dirt. 
you're going to go back there. This body is in earth. Your will be done. Your kingdom come in earth as it is in heaven. In earth here. And when his kingdom is done in earth here, his kingdom will be done in earth out there. Fourth, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Another translation says, they shall be satisfied. You're looking for satisfaction. You're looking for pleasure in life. All of us are. All of us are. That's what, that was, that's what drives us. That's how God created us. But the only true source of satisfaction is him. Cars wear out. Got to go to the shop. Cost you everything. New heating, air conditioning in the house. Few years. Cost you clothes. No matter what. We think, oh, well, we got titanium steel. I'll tell you, when the heat of God comes, it ain't even going to last. If I can speak some southern to you, it's not even going to remain. Anything this world is built on, it's going to burn. You say, Pastor, you're, that's not, no, it's going to burn. That's the Bible. It's going to burn because he's got to create a new heaven and a new earth because this world is just so corrupted, so polluted. But those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, that's what satisfies. And he is the only one that satisfies. If you feel stuck in your Christian life, the Beatitudes and the words that Jesus counsels us with, he counsels us to just, if you're stuck, just begin at the beginning. I don't know if anybody in this room's ever backslidden before, or gone out into open sin before, or just gotten cold and indifferent, quit reading your Bible, quit praying, quit going to church. Uh, some, I'm sure in this crowd, and, and uh, not because it's this crowd, but because people, and I'm sure watching live stream, that, you know, somebody has, has had that experience that they didn't, they weren't like they should have been with the Lord. But you know how to get back? You know how to get back to the Lord? You just start doing what you knew is right. It's not some elaborate, huge, uh, grand scheme thing to do. It's not selling your home and giving all your money. God, God didn't ask that. It's just come back to the first step. And that's what he says in Revelation, isn't it? To the fallen church, he said, repent and do your first works over again. You come back. And you know what? It's not the Lord that ever walks away from us. It's always us that walks away from him. And it's not the Lord. And, and, and how God deals with you and me and us is he's, he never gives you the next step to do. I'm waiting on a word from God. I need a fresh word from God. I'm hungry for God. Well, if you're all so hungry for God, did you do what he told you to last do? Did you obey what he told you to do the last time he talked to you? Because you're not getting any more instructions and guidance and leading and blessing until you've done what he showed you to do. If you feel, st- if you feel stuck, you just go back to the beginning where it's simple. It's simple. Jesus makes it, God the Father makes it simple you become poor in your spirit you humble yourself you admit Lord I need you that'd be another good song to sing this morning I need thee oh I need thee every hour for me it's every minute I need thee 